Mike, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, Keenan, my friend. What is up, my brother? Thank you all again for tuning in. We are on episode five of the Pop Punk Project. This is one of my favorite albums ever. It's Fall Out Boy's debut LP, Take This to Your Grave. Let's stage dive in. Woo! I know you love these guys, Mike. What can you tell us about them? So Fall Out Boy is a band that was formed back in 2001 in the suburbs of Chicago, Illinois, uh, a town called Wilmette, I believe. So Mike, I was looking up Wilmette. I was very curious because I didn't know a whole lot about Wilmette. I'd never heard of it before. And it's a suburb of Chicago. And I was looking through the famous people from Wilmette. You ready for this list? Sure. I'm just going to scratch the surface here, but I, wanna, I wanted you to know about a couple of these. Bill Murray is from Wilmette, Illinois. Okay. That's a pretty big one to start. He's a huge Cubs fan. Also, Rain Wilson from The Office. He's from Wilmette. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. He went to Nutria High School, which is where my, uh, my good friend Jason Kopelman went. What's up, Jason? Shout out to Jason. Go Cougars. Also, Sinead O'Connor... Lived in Wilmette for several months in 2016. How about that? Wow. Several whole months? <laughs> yeah, several whole months. And then when you get down to the rest of the musical artists, nobody from Fall Out Boy is listed except for Pete Wentz. The rest of wow. Fall Out Boy totally snubbed on the uh, Wikipedia article. That's insulting. I wonder if, if it was just Pete Wentz that's from there and then they just made that where they're from. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Is <laughs> I know you probably don't have this information, but all those old um John Hughes movies. Yeah. Like Home Alone, Christmas Vacation, Uncle Buck, they were all filmed in the suburbs of Chicago. I wonder if any of those were actually filmed in Wilmette. That's funny. My friend Jason Kopelman, who's from Chicago, Illinois, was the stand in for the little kid in Home Alone Three. So I wonder if it was filmed in that suburban Chicago area. I just did a quick search for Hughes on the Wikipedia page, and there's no results. So <laughs> it's probably a really awful town. So is that your whole Wilmette thing? Yeah, that was it. <laughs> okay, cool. There's celebrities. Would you expect that many celebrities to be from Wilmette, Illinois? <laughs> I guess not. There's more. You want to hear more? Never mind. Let's just move on. <laughs> Wow, I never realized that that many celebrities were from the small town of Wilmette, Illinois. Isn't that crazy? Who would have thought that? That is crazy. All those big-time celebrities. Including our buddy Pete Wentz. And Sinead O'Connor, who was there for a couple months in 2016. <laughs> I wonder if she rented or if she just bought a house and sold it again. I'll find out, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Keenan. So, in addition to Pete Wentz, who unusually, I would say is probably the most famous member of Fall Out Boy, who's not the lead singer. Patrick Stump is the lead singer. Pete Wentz plays bass. And then we have guitarist Joe Trauman and drummer Andy Hurley. Was that always their lineup? At least from this album. I'm not sure if there's probably some different stuff that was going on prior to them forming this lineup for this LP. But since that time, I think everybody's remained in the band. I know they went on a brief hiatus from... 
I believe 2013 through 2017, my years could be off a little bit on that, but I'm pretty sure that when they did come back in terms of recording and touring again, that all four guys were back in the band. Yeah, Mike, they originated from Chicago's hardcore punk scene, which was, as I recall, a very tight-knit community, and a few bands actually came up through that scene. And they formed when Wentz and Troman started a side project of their respective hardcore bands. And I guess this was the side project, wasn't it? Yeah, they wanted an outlet to kind of perform these more pop punk kind of songs as opposed to the hardcore bands that they were currently in. So Fall Out Boy came out of that, which what a great side project. If your side project is Fall Out Boy. It's pretty incredible. So this was their debut album. They had released a couple EPs and mini LPs prior to putting this one out, but this was their first full-length release. What a nice change of pace. Finally, a band's debut album that we're covering. Any person that has a somewhat decent song just gets snatched up. So this album was put out by Fueled by Ramen way back on May 6th, 2003, and it's credited by many as being an essential pop-punk emo album, and it has been certified gold, selling over 500,000 copies in the U.S. So, May 6, 2003. Keenan, can you give us some sort of idea what in the world is going on here? Can I ever? May 1, 2003, if you recall back, Mike, that was when George Bush had his infamous mission-accomplished photo op (laughs) on the deck of the USS Abraham Lincoln. Do you remember that? (laughs) I do. I don't know if I remember it actually happening in real time, but it's just been kind of clipped and memed over the years as a big joke. So funny to see that image and look back at that as like, oh, this is the end? (laughs) Not even close. Mission accomplished. Change of pace. May 5th, 2003. Professional social networking site LinkedIn launches. Big news, Mike. That's great news, especially for you. I know you you work as a recruiter trying to place people in certain jobs, so... Wait, is that why you asked me that earlier? No. <laughs> that was just a weird coincidence? I just brought it up. Yeah, Mike, I do use LinkedIn a lot. How about you? Are you on LinkedIn? I am. And I'm actually on LinkedIn, and I still have a weird cropped photo from a random wedding <laughs> seven years ago. <laughs> Does the Pop Punk Project have a LinkedIn page? <laughs> Not yet. Okay, well, pretty soon we will. Please follow us on that as well. Yeah, we're trying to get snatched up by some sort of platform. Also, might I just add that May 5th, 2003 was 15 years before my my wedding. Oh, yeah, Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. I forgot you had that Mexican-themed wedding. <laughs> that was fun. Keenan, if you thought LinkedIn was exciting, check this out. <laughs> on May 8th of 2003... King Mohammed VI of Morocco actually released 9,459 prisoners from Morocco's prisons in celebration of the birth of his first son and heir. If you're a prisoner, that's your lucky day, man. How did he pick who was being released? Was it random? A couple murderers here and there? That would have been a great follow-up question. I wish I had thought of it, but how many people live in Morocco? I would imagine that's probably their entire prison system. I think Morocco is a pretty big North African country. 
but also not a lot of criminals, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Could be right about that. I don't know enough about the Moroccan prison system. Let me just Google Morocco criminals. And then, Mike, on May 20th, Buffy the Vampire Slayer aired its series finale, concluding the seven-year series. Were you a big Buffy fan? Never seen an episode. Well, <laughs> me neither. <laughs> but apparently, a lot of people watched it because to have seven seasons, you have to have quite the following. And then on May 21st, the very next day, Mike, in a very close vote, Ruben Stuttered beats out Clay Aiken to become the next American Idol? The first American Idol. No, the next American Idol. Yeah. Kelly Clarkson was the first one. Right. That's huge. Do you remember that? I remember Ruben versus Clay. That was a big one. So, yeah, I do remember this. And this was still back in the day when American Idol had some real clout. And whether you were the winner or one of the finalists, you hung around in pop culture for a while. So Big Rube won. He never really did anything substantial with his music other than I'm Sorry for 2004, which is one of my favorite songs. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. but I love that song. But even Clay Aiken, up until a couple of years ago, was he was running for mayor of some his local town in North Carolina. And that was like national news. That was a big deal. I remember American Idol... That finale being a very big deal. Yeah. Certainly wasn't the Clark household. I imagine it probably wasn't the Moynihan household too. We never voted. Did you vote? I think in the first couple seasons, the Clarks voted. Okay. Was that back when you probably had to call, right? And just... I think you did have to call. Was that one where you would call in and then you'd press a button and that became your vote? Like if you pressed one... Press seven or... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we cast a couple votes to that. That's also tough because that can get contentious, you know, if... um. Especially at the final two. If somebody wants Ruben, somebody wants Clay. I can tear a family apart, Mike. I can. And the limits. Are there limits on those votes? I don't even remember. I don't know, but I remember that your local telephone charges did apply. They really wanted to make that clear. That could have been a limiting factor, for sure. That was probably one of the first situations where you actually found out about the potential outrageous fees of making those types of calls. No doubt. Mike, you ready for your weekly Pixar news? Hit me. May 30th, 2003, Finding Nemo, released in theaters. I love Finding Nemo. Is that your favorite Pixar movie? No, not by a long shot. What's your favorite? Well, I'm a huge Toy Story fan, so if I'm being honest, it probably is Toy Story 2, Toy Story, Toy Story 4, Toy Story 3. In that order? Yeah. Wow. Yep. And then from there, Up. Up is my number one favorite. Up is actually probably ahead of a couple Toy Stories, but... I love Up. Finding Nemo is a great movie. It is. Yeah, it's really good. And that's it for the news, May 2003. So, Mike, I know that you were obsessed with this album. What was your experience? How did you get into it? Why did you love it so much? So, Fall Out Boy was actually introduced to me by our old friends Alex Taratuski and Steph Seeley from our day camp days. Shout out Gwen and Mercy College Day Camp. That's right. So Alex had burned me the From Under the Cork Tree album, Fall Out Boy's next release, and I fell in love with that album, and then I kind of went back. I remember going to Best Buy, and actually, back when you could go to stores and look through the CDs and actually buy physical music, I saw this album, like, oh, I didn't realize Fall Out Boy had more than the one CD that I've been listening to constantly. So I bought it and fell in love with it. And the rest is history. 
I think I might like this album more than from one of the Cork Tree, which is one of the rare occasions where the album I kind of discovered secondary became my favorite. I don't know if I can say that about many others, but I was always a little hesitant to kind of dive fully into Fall Out Boy because I always thought that they were more of a girls band, which I don't know if that was because some of our girlfriends actually introduced them to me, but in the beginning, and they were also called Fall Out Boy, which is kind of a weird band name to say to your friends, like, oh, I love this band, Fall Out Boy. But I got over that pretty quickly because I, I just love their music. What about you? How did you first find out about them? I think our experiences discovering Fall Out Boy were actually very similar. I discovered them at camp with that same group of people. I remember Alex listening to them, Steph, and then they introduced us to Meg, and I know Meg would always listen to them too. So anytime I hear Fall Out Boy, I always associate them with the girls at that camp. And are there albums and songs that as soon as you hear them, you just have one image or one picture, or one memory in your mind? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think I do. This album for me, anytime I hear any song in this album, and anytime I hear any song from, from Under the Cork Tree too, I always just think about camp and those people at camp it's really weird it's like i'm transported back in time to that fallout boy was a huge camp band i feel like the summer of 2005 i think was when sugar were going down kind of blew up and i remember those girls were kind of i remember them kind of being superior because they were already on this train you know they had been on these guys from the beginning so yeah when everybody else is like oh this song's great they're like well you should listen to this past album as well. It's equally as good. Yeah. Back then, I think it was, it was this perfect storm of Sugar We're Going Down being very popular on the radio. That group of girls at camp listening to the earlier albums, and that's when I was like fully immersed in it and became a big fan. Yeah. So that was a great summer and obviously one that has stuck with us in many ways. But getting back to the general themes of this album, in listening to it again and I'll be honest, this is an album that I listen to more frequently these days than a lot of other pop-punk albums, but it's a lot of talks about relationships, some self-loathing, and kind of making jokes about yourself, or making jokes at your own expense. There's the classic songs about hating your girlfriend's new man. A lot of these songs involve your friendships and your loyalties to your friends, which is always important, and... As opposed to some other songs we've heard in the past, there's no mention of school whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I would say, Mike, there are some themes that we've heard before. We're no strangers to relationships, no strangers to hating your girlfriend's new man. Friendship and loyalty is a little bit different. Yeah, there's multiple tracks where that's the prime theme. That's a nice wholesome theme that we haven't seen before. And then also, I do like the fact that they decide not to talk about school. I'm a little, I think we've played that one out now. Yeah, I'm definitely ready to be past 23-year-olds talking about how much school sucks. We can just talk about how much everything else sucks. Yeah, self-loathing. We can talk about how we suck. Fall Out Boy does a great job of all of those things. Some interesting things that I also learned about this album after reading up about it throughout the years What's cool is you can kind of get lost in the stories of their writing process and how they make music together. 
it seemed like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but it seemed like the two main songwriters in the band were the lead singer, Patrick, and the bassist, Pete Wentz. And it sounded like they almost had a tumultuous relationship when it came to writing lyrics, writing music. They often disagreed. They often got in fights. And a lot of that tension would boil over into the music. And you can sense that angst in the music. You know, I didn't really realize that their relationship was so tumultuous. I did know that there were fractures within the band from the beginning. Because this was, for better or worse, Pete Wentz's band. And you don't often see that coming from the bassist slash backup singer. But he was kind of, along with Pat Stump, the main lyricist. So the songs and the messages that Fall Out Boy was putting out there was kind of Pete Wentz's vehicle. So that doesn't surprise me when you say that they kind of had a contentious relationship because I did see in the recording of this album, there was actually some controversy about the album cover itself because the album features the four guys sitting on a broken futon in Pete Wentz's apartment. And it says, Fall Out Boy, take this to your grave, you know, your standard band title on the album cover. But then below that on the album, it states each of their names. That caused a little bit of a rift between the bandmates because they didn't really want that recognition plastered on the cover of their first album. But Pete kind of saw it as a way of projecting that they were all equal partners in this band. I thought that was kind of interesting. I never realized that there was, even from this early of a stage in their career together, this amount of infighting between the guys. Yeah, I think it spawned from the fact that this was the first album where Patrick let Pete Wentz really contribute to the writing process. And with that, obviously, came some growing pains and some some new obstacles that they had to overcome. And it definitely shows in the lyrics. And I think there are countless stories within the pop-punk community about their relationship with each other and how it was formed during the writing process in albums like this one. Whether it was amicable at all times or plagued with a little bit of aggression, I'm glad that they did form that relationship because it created a ton of great songs. And this album for their debut LP was a pretty spectacular start. Even its origins are pretty spectacular. I never realized this, but it was actually recorded at the now-closed Smart Studios out in Madison, Wisconsin. It was a little small studio space, but there were some monumental albums that were recorded here, including Nirvana's Nevermind back in the 90s. That's incredible. And the band actually saw the microphone that Kurt Cobain used to record that album. They weren't allowed to use it themselves. Apparently, only the lead singer of Garbage was permitted to use that same microphone, which I thought that was pretty cool, but the recording studio still had that there, obviously. That's pretty crazy. You wouldn't really expect this random recording studio in the Midwest. Yeah, Madison, Wisconsin, probably right off of the University of Wisconsin's campus, you know? Maybe. Did you look that up? I mean, that's where it is. Yeah, that's true. Madison can't be that big, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's the state capital, so... Do you know how they actually got the name Fallout Boy? (sighs) Do I ever, Keenan? Fallout Boy was both a character from The Simpsons and he was also a character from an old comic strip, I believe. 
Fallout Boy is kind of this superhero character. Is that like nuclear Fallout? I'm guessing so, right? What other kind of Fallout is there? Yeah, I imagine that seems like a pretty classic superhero origin story. They were attacked by some weapon and the nuclear Fallout gave them special powers, right? Yeah, they are just constantly glowing. And they have they have seven fingers on each hand. <laughs> but they actually had a couple different band names that they were deciding between. And they were letting their friends vote on these names. And as the story goes, they were playing a show and Pete introduced them as this long and convoluted name. And one of their friends that was in the crowd actually shouted out, F that, you're Fallout Boy. <laughs> and then from that point forward, everybody kind of just referred to them as Fallout Boy, including the other bands that they were playing with that night. So Nothing like giving in to peer pressure. That's true. The name stuck. If you can't make up your own name and your friends are just going to call you Fallout Boy, you might as well embrace it, I guess. Yeah, just roll with it. So the first song, I'm a little afraid to even say, because I'm pretty sure this is offensive, but the first song is called Tell That Mick He Just Made My List of Things to Do Today. First of all, Mike, isn't the word Mick offensive to Irish people? I th- is it? I think as Irish people, we can... You think we can we can shake that one off? Well, we're definitely allowed to say it. I mean, we are Irish. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely a derogatory term, probably based in origins on the popularity of Irish names having Mick, you know, Mick Murphy, Mick, Mick whatever. <laughs> you came up with one and it was Mick Murphy. <laughs> no, dude. You know, good old Marty Mick whatever. You could have said McDonald. You could have said McDermott. McDonald. Pretty sure McMurphy isn't even a name. <laughs> dude, Randall Patrick McMurphy. Who's that? Cuckoo's Nest. Oh. <laughs> McMurphy, McWhatever. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, maybe maybe that derogatory name is, is deserved because I'm stupid. <laughs> uh, talk about self-loathing over here. It's been instilled in us from birth. So I've got some thoughts about this song, Mike, but I want to hear what your memory of it is and what your ideas are. Sure. Just give me one second as my wife walks down the stairs. Oh, boy. Laundry at this hour? I'm just going to wait till she goes back upstairs real quick. <laughs> you guys give each other the finger yeah love you so this is my favorite song on the album believe it or not coming out of the gate strong wow 
I was thinking about it again, and this is just always the song I come back to on this album. It's just such a fun song. There's so many great lines. I wonder if part of it has to do with the fact that it was probably one of the first Fall Out Boy songs you heard. I would say so. Well, I was familiar with From Under the Cork Tree, but this song starts out, as we'll hear, with the dial tone, like the phone off the hook. And then it just blasts into some guitar. And from there, it's, you know, this album is just lights out. It's always been one that stuck out to me. And I found out years later, actually, in college, I went through a bit of a Wes Anderson phase with movies. And this was a line from his movie that he directed called Rushmore, starring Jason Schwartzman. So that's actually one of the lines that Jason Schwartzman says in that movie is just, tell that Mickey just made my list of things to do today. That was another thing I was going to ask you about. They must take a lot of these song titles from popular culture references like movies and books because they're one of those bands where when they came out with albums, you were like, what are these titles? I've never seen these long convoluted titles before. It's like them and maybe Panic at the Disco does that too. But I remember them being the first ones that I saw where I was like, okay, there's nothing straightforward about the way that they write things or phrase things. Right. A lot of their song titles have nothing to do with the actual content of the songs, which is pretty unusual. You know, usually you'll see a song title that is just plucked right from the chorus or a line in the verse or whatever. But the majority of their song titles have nothing to do with actual lines in the song and maybe might relate more closely with the theme of that song. That's kind of cool. That's very unique to them. It's kind of fun to determine what the actual origins of these tracks are. And do you know most of them? Like if we went through and started just listing out titles of the songs, would you know most of the references? Of the references that there are, I know most of them. I don't think all of them are references. I think they might just be funny lines or we'll talk about it more going through this album, but So I think you could easily look at this song and assume that it's about a relationship because there's a lot of aggressive lyrics about two people who don't get along or are constantly at odds. The chorus is, let's play this game called When You Catch Fire, I Wouldn't Piss to Put You Out. That's such an aggressive line that we haven't really seen before. But So you immediately assume it's about a couple that's fighting. But I think what it's actually about is that really contentious relationship between Patrick and Pete during the writing process. I think a long time ago, I actually read that this song was about them not seeing eye to eye on writing lyrics, writing music, and just production in general. Wow. You know, I never actually thought of it as a relationship between friends, but I guess that's what it could be. And if you think not pissing to put out the fire is bad, The next line is, stop burning bridges and drive off of them so I can forget about you. There are no punches held up here, you know? You would think that even if these guys 
were fighting a little bit. The fact that they were in a band together and probably best friends or at least good friends, maybe that's a little dramatic and maybe that's a little over the top. I think we'll come to find that Fall Out Boy does have a flair for the dramatic side of things. And I'm not opposed to that. That's what I kind of love about this being the opening track is that from the get-go, you understand, okay, these guys these guys are not holding back in terms of their lyrical content and their anger and whether it's directed towards each other or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or another friend that's not your writing partner and, and bandmate. Yeah. It's kind of great, in my opinion, that they're pretty transparent in terms of how they feel. Well, the more I think about it, too, is like if this song is really about their relationship during music production, people that are really close, like siblings or married couple, those people, even though they have so much love and adoration for each other, I feel like those people can also be the most abrasive towards each other. Yeah. The people that you love the most, you also fight the most. <laughs> yeah. No, that's totally true. There's just such a, an unavoidable dichotomy between love and hate. It boils down to passion. Yeah. And you're either passionate because you're very happy about something or because you're very upset about something. And across the spectrum, they may not be as far apart as you might think they are. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, the first few times I heard this song, I just assumed it was about a classic relationship, potential breakup, people sort of falling apart. But when you kind of know what it's actually about, it makes it a little more intriguing to listen to. Because then you're thinking about the inner workings of the band and you're thinking about how they actually interact with each other in the recording studio and on tour. And you're like, wow, these guys are, even though they're super close, they're also kind of at each other's throat sometimes. I thought that was kind of interesting to think about. Definitely. And as somebody that has fully admitted to this being one of their favorite albums of all time, I never even realized that this was what this song was about. So Yeah, they do disguise a little bit because they do have references to a guy and his girlfriend, I think, right? They do. They allude to makeup and his smiles, your rope, wrap it tight around your throat. Well, it's probably a comparison that their relationship is at times almost like a married couple or a couple that's dating because there is this back and forth that that type of couple would have. Right. I'm sure they spent countless hours together and they were working together to try to produce something of value, which these two guys that obviously are very talented and very opinionated, that can't be easy, at least not all the time. Track number two is Dead on Arrival. This is one of the bigger hits of the album, if I remember correctly. Yeah, this was one of the bigger songs off this album. It was the first single they released. They actually released a single prior to 
the album's release date. This single came out back on April 4th. So about a month or so before Take This to Your Grave was actually put out into the stores. The vibe that I get from this song, Mike, is it's about a guy who wants to be with a girl, but she doesn't want to be with him. And so it feels really pointless. The conversation is dead on arrival. There's nothing he can do to convince her to be with him. And so it's, it is upbeat, but it's actually kind of like a sad, helpless feeling song. And I think that's where the title actually comes from. Dead on arrival, that's a medical term, I think. Right, Mike? I'm no doctor, but... <laughs> believe it or not, I'm not either. But yeah, <laughs> I believe dead on arrival is when you get to the hospital, there's no chance of resuscitation. So it's hopeless. It's a bad situation that won't become better, which is kind of what type of relationship they're describing in the song. For sure. From the girl's perspective, it's a non-starter. But from the guy's perspective, I think he's trying to prove that I might not be your ideal candidate for a relationship, but I have potential. So the chorus has the line, this is side one, flip me over. I know I'm not your favorite record, but I want to point out that the B-sides aren't always bad tracks. They might not just be the premiere tracks. Yeah, and that's the guy kind of saying that even though this side of him isn't attractive, flip him over, see what's deeper down, and she might actually like it. Yeah, see what's lying underneath. Dive below the surface. There might be some buried treasure. Isn't that just what ugly people say? <laughs> yes. I, I know that for a fact because that's what I say. No, dude, we never had to worry about being ugly. <laughs> yeah, you're Kidding right. me? Yeah. But, dude, again, side one, Strawberry Fields Forever was the B-side to Penny Lane. Oh, wow. And we know from our memory book that Strawberry Fields Forever was my favorite song back in 2005. So That's right. So are you saying that the Beatles were actually the original pop punk? They were definitely the original pop. And the original punk. At that time, yeah, I guess there was no other punk. Just uh, poppunkproject at gmail.com if you want to tell us. Actually, no, at the time there was a uh, small <laughs> punk uh, underground following in the, the clubs of East Germany. Uh, that is incorrect. The Beatles were not punk. <laughs> uh, we're going to get some hate mail for that one. This song's great. It's, it's going to be really hard for me to decide what song on this album is my least favorite. You don't have to, Mike. Okay, then I won't. But <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I don't think it's this one. And I love the one comparison of the one verse that says, a rivalry goes so deep between me and this loss of sleep over you. So it's not even a rivalry between you and this person who is dismissive of you. It's you're upset about the fact that you're losing sleep over this person when you can't just move on. I thought that was a pretty interesting line because I've definitely been in those those situations where it's like, I don't necessarily blame this person for not wanting to go out or, or date or whatever. But I just wish that I could get over them. Yeah. That's as big an issue as dealing with being um, denied, I guess you could say. Yeah, they almost go one step further. It's such a deeper emotion of like, oh, I just hate it. I want these pains to go away as opposed to just, oh, I want this person to like me. Right. In fact, when I hear this song, I always just, in the back of my mind, I always think, God, isn't that just embarrassing to talk about you're essentially begging somebody to like you? There are some songs like that where it's like, the lyrics are all about how a person doesn't like you and you really want them to like you. And I'm like, oh, why are they begging? Dude, I wonder where Fall Out Boy was at this point in their lives. Like, I wonder, because not every song can be about Pete Wentz and Patrick Stump fighting over who gets to write the songs. I don't know. And 
We know that Pete Wentz was married to Ashley Simpson for some time. I did not know that. Is that true? You didn't? No. Really? I had no idea. They were married? Yeah. They were married and had, I think, two children. Are you serious? Wasn't Ashley Simpson married to Ryan Cabrera? She dated Ryan Cabrera, so... Wow. You might be referring to like the Ashley Simpson MTV show. I think she was dating him during that, that MTV show that they filmed about her. Yeah, the Ashley Simpson show. Right. Okay, I do remember them dating on that. I thought they had married for some reason. No, it looks like her and Pete Wentz were married in 2008, but then divorced in 2011. Mm. Another short-term relationship. Which one was shorter, their relationship or Derek Wibley and Avril Lavigne? Ooh. I think they were similar. I think Avril and Derek was like a year longer. Okay. If I remember correctly. Yeah, I can't see the months, so I'm not positive. But yeah, they were married and had uh, two children. Wow, pretty cool. Another <laughs> punk rock relationship. <laughs> it's definitely cool when people have children. <laughs> you should know. <laughs> okay, wait. So their son, Bronx Mowgli. What? Bronze Mowgli? Bronx. Oh, okay. Track three, Mike. Here comes my favorite song now. Grand Theft Autumn, Where's Your Boy? Where is your boy tonight? I hope he is a gentleman. Maybe he won't find out what I know. You were the last good thing about this part of town. This one is my favorite Fall Out Boy song of all time, actually. Of all time? Of all time, yeah. Even wow. the newer stuff, Sugar We're Going Down. This one is still my all-time favorite. Always has been, probably always will be. Well, if it always has been, then it definitely always will be because they don't release songs like this anymore, if I'm being honest. No, I, I don't love their newer stuff. So, yeah, <laughs> I think this will uh, remain the favorite for a while, if not forever. <laughs> but this one's cool, and it's... Similar theme to the last one, where it's a guy who's into a girl who doesn't like him back and is already in a relationship. Yeah, there's that same sort of line of thought where I'm not perfect, but I'm not the worst person out there, you know? <laughs> That's such a sad way to look at it, but yeah, it's just begging, <laughs> begging her again. <laughs> I'm not great, but I'm not literally the worst. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've never been married because that's the only argument I have. <laughs> it's like, uh, well, hey, at least I'm not homeless. <laughs> Thanks to you. <laughs> uh, well, it was, it does remind me of a song from episode one, Blink-182 End of the State episode, Dysentery Gary. Dysentery Gary was all about hating a guy who was dating the girl you liked comes up again and again we made fun of it but it comes up again and again you're right and i think this is a better song than dysentery gary yeah i agree but definitely a similar theme 
This was the second single off of this album, released in August of 2003, so three months after the album release date. I would say their biggest song until Sugar Were Going Down, and it's probably still in their top three of their all-time biggest songs. This song reminds me a lot of, there were a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows where this was a classic theme. It was like average nerdy dude who was obsessed with the cheerleader or the prom queen and she's dating some horrible jerk football player and then she realizes that she hates that guy and then ends up getting with the loser. Like there were so many TV shows and movies that had that theme. Dude, we could go back to all those John Hughes movies we talked about earlier. There's a ton of, you know, 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink, a ton of just wallflowers ending up with the pretty popular girls. Breakfast Club. It's like you fall for the jock and then you realize that they're superficial, shallow, a-holes. <laughs> Whoa. Keep it PG, Mike. You're right. <laughs> you come to find out that in actuality... The real heartthrob is the skinny, scrawny loser that never talks to you. That's right. That's who you should really fall in love with. And that's what this song reminds me of. The one that always pops in my mind, even though it came out so much later, and it came out in like 2010, was that movie She's Out of My League. Do you know that one? I do. Is that the one with, um? can't remember his name, the guy from This is the End? Yeah, it has... Jay Baruchel. Right, yeah. That's he's right, sort of yeah. the nerdy dude who ends up getting with Alice Eve, who's like the bombshell blonde model. TJ Miller's in it. It's just a hilarious movie, but for whatever reason, that one always comes to mind. It's more recent. It's not as classic as the ones you named, but I was thinking of that one. No, I mean, this is definitely a timeless theme, and I think they do a pretty good job of capturing that. There's a couple lines that I think are pretty great. Someday I'll appreciate and value. Get off my ass and call you. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm that. not always going to be this much of a loser. Yeah. One day I'll figure out some confidence and actually talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like the use of the word appreciate because I work in insurance and we talk about depreciation a lot, which is buildings losing value over time, cars losing value over time. You rarely ever think about... Do buildings lose value over time? Yeah, I mean... I guess property goes up, but buildings go down. So if you have a house that's built in 1950, you can either insure it on an actual cash value basis or a replacement cost basis. Mm. And welcome back to the Homeowners Insurance Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Home improvement. <laughs> arr, 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 arr. <laughs> But you never hear people saying, like, appreciation is like being grateful for something, you know? Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up, Mike. I appreciate you asking me <laughs> further details about my career, Keenan. About insurance? <laughs> now that all of our listeners are asleep? <laughs> I guess you could uh... say talking about insurance is dead on arrival. <laughs> uh... So Fallout Boy does 
reference a lot of pop culture things, as we talked about with the line from the Wes Anderson movie on the first track. And Grand Theft Autumn, I think, is undeniably a reference to the Grand Theft Auto video game series that were hugely popular at this time and I think remain pretty popular to this day. Yeah, it's a great game. Very violent. It's uh, Brian Friel's favorite video game. Which ones? He's obsessed with it. Uh, which installment of it? Yeah. Uh, there's different ones, right? I don't know. Vice City? I don't know. Yeah. San Andreas? Sure, yeah. I think he plays them all. I don't play video games, so I really don't know. I, I don't play them that much either, but yeah, I think he likes all of them. <laughs> he loves those, <laughs> he loves those <laughs> games. <laughs> Brian Friel. <laughs> Loves Grand Theft Auto. He's such a gamer, dude. <laughs> Out of all my friends, Brian Friel is the gamer friend. Really? No. <laughs> but he loves Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> I feel like we don't have any gamer friends. What are you talking about? All of my friends are gamers. <laughs> okay, then I don't have any of your, of your friends. <laughs> I was trying to avoid this, but I wish I could be a gamer again. Why? Because I just feel like it's such a nice community. <laughs> the gamer community it is a good community i'm so far removed that there's just no way that i can ever get back there yeah we're gonna have to start you very bottom and build you up super nintendo be like baby steps <laughs> i played Fortnite for for <laughs> 10 seconds <laughs> I like, I like i'm one of those guys in like modern warfare that are just pointing their guns at the sky. <laughs> just like spinning around. <laughs> spinning in circles in the corner. I remember playing Fortnite with Charlie Kelly like four years ago. It had been out for maybe a year and we didn't get it. We thought it was like a real game and you were supposed to actually survive. And we would go and run from bush to bush and hide and be like, yeah, nobody saw us. And then we'd run to the next one and be like, dude, we're doing so great. And then somebody obviously would snipe us. And then I realized that that's not the point of the game at all <laughs> you thought it was captured the flag the video game <laughs> i just thought it was like a real combat game but i was wrong and that's like an easy game like i can't even begin to think about games where like there are actual worlds that you have to go into those games where it's just like free roaming where it's just explore the world oh yeah there's some huge ones and it's like i don't do anything in the real world why would i want to <laughs> play as spider-man and just like go figure out what's going on in spider-man's life <laughs> if you're not getting out in the real world this is your chance to do it virtually true i might ruffle some feathers here oh no i did love animal crossing back in the day on gamecube but nowadays we're adults so it's like you can pay off your mortgage in real life if you want to oh boy you are going to upset a lot of our <laughs> listeners <laughs> You can do all the uh, boring... The pop-punk project does not condone the opinions of... <laughs> you can do all the boring, mindless... You can pay taxes in real life if you really feel like it. I'm just jealous, dude. I'm just jealous because I think Nintendo Switches are still on back order and... The music video for Grand Theft Auto is also really cool. Do you remember it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, isn't it? Some perv is looking at some girl. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> if if the song wasn't given weirdos enough hope, the music video certainly will.
man. This was incel before incel was a real thing. <laughs> yeah. It's some guy with like an old timey video recorder, like a camcorder, <laughs> staking, staking out some girls, some like model's house, and basically being a peeping Tom. And she catches him and then she makes out with him. She loves it. Yeah. Speaking of, um, we talked about them recording in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. It looks like Bonnie Bear's cabin somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's like snowing, it's cold. And everybody, not everybody, but I know Patrick Stump and like, the guy filming this girl, they're both wearing the little military hats or like the beanies with the brim. It's like, yeah, the knit cap with the brim. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How did that become? Look, this is the pop punk project. We try to embrace everything about our culture here, but I don't get how that became fashionable. I don't know. Did you have one of those? If you want to keep your ears, I never owned one, but if you want to keep your ears warm and you also want to block out the sun, <laughs> that was what you bought. <laughs> it's I, actually extremely versatile. I, I hate those two and a half days in November when it's cold, but also a little sunny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had two. I had two of them. No, you didn't. Yeah. One was Penn State. We were at Penn State for a football game back probably the same year this album came out like 2003 2004 and i was just looking for like a winter hat and it was just like a plain navy blue hat with the brim and just like a little patch that said like penn state really small so really really nice look probably wore that like one time on the car ride home never touched it again (laughs) for some reason thought i needed another one (laughs) (laughs) and Ordered it off of HotTopic.com. Yes. Which was, back in the day, that was when you would get, like, Visa gift cards. Yeah. I would always look for stuff online that would, like, it was never anything that I wanted. It was just something that would meet the gift card requirements. Yeah. So, it's like, can I pay for this item plus shipping on this $25 <laughs> gift card? So, on this one occasion, I got this, like, brown and tan striped brim beanie (laughs) the brimmed beanie when it showed up i looked like sway from mtv yeah Yeah, sway in the morning (laughs) it was so big on my head it looked like it looked like i was like voldemort hiding like a a second head underneath there (laughs) oh i love those it was part of the uh pop punk uniform back in the day but it was so funny because that music video they're all wearing like the classic pop punk outfits even the girl has like i think she had like a studded belt yeah she had like a mini skirt and then like long knee-high socks and the video ends with the peeping tom or he's not a member of the band is he no he's just some random he kind of looks a little bit like pete but not really he's just some random jabroni he runs back to his peeping tom van (laughs) yeah his creeper van and this beautiful young woman is in the van and just jumps on top of him. Yeah. That's just giving false hope to all these losers out there. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Fallout boy. All you had to do is string your camcorder from your cigarette outlet to the outside of this girl's room and she'll be all over you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's all it'll take to get the girl of your dreams. Great song though. I will say the other thing, Mike is, 
This song also has one of the best drum fills in all of pop punk. I think it actually is the greatest drum fill of all time. Man, I do remember that being great. Track number four, A Weekend Jam, Saturday. This song was the third single off this album, and it is that unavoidable song still to this day. I remember being in college, and if you had plans on Saturday, this was a song that you would put on or hum in the shower or think about on Friday, you know, heading into Saturday. I was talking to my wife's cousin earlier today about this album because I know he's a huge fan of the band as well. and he was saying something similar, like this was always a song that he would put on to get himself pumped up for like a big weekend that he had coming up. I feel like a lot of bands will have songs referencing the weekend and it's all just to make you feel good. What I learned the song is actually about though is a little more depressing than that. It's actually about Patrick Stump graduating from high school and life after high school being terrible. Like you're growing up <laughs> and time to start. <laughs> time to, to enter the real world and start your real life. And it's like, there's nothing to do after that. The lyrics are, I'm good to go and I'm going nowhere fast. Isn't that how the song actually starts? That's right. It could be worse. I could be taking you there with me. So does that mean like you're going nowhere and other people you know might be heading on to bigger and better things? I think so. I think that's actually what it's about. So it's a feel-good song, but the themes are actually kind of sad to think about. All right. Well, that's cool. Take away my weekend pump-up song, Patrick Stump. I'm sorry Patrick Stump had such an awful experience after high school. There are some interesting lines on the song, though. And one that I never really kind of looked into until we were reviewing this album was Pete and I attacked the lost Astoria. That one stood out to me, too. Were you able to find out what the context of that was? Well, it's so funny because to bring up Brian Friel again, he lived in Astoria, Queens, New York. And so whenever I heard this song, I always just assumed they were talking about New York. They were talking about this neighborhood in Queens. And I would think about Friel's old apartment there. But what I actually found out is the Astoria was a club in Chicago. I think a club that they either used to play at or they used to go to. It was some place in Chicago that they knew and they were just mentioning. And I guess they called it the Lost Astoria because I think it closed down and wasn't a thing anymore. Ah, okay. I always kind of wondered about that line. And honestly, if I'm being completely frank with you, I guess I never realized that they were saying Lost Astoria. You know what I mean? Like it was one of those lines that just kind of blended in with the rest of the song. Yeah, there are tons of lines like that. 
it's actually kind of cool going back and reading the lyrics for this podcast because I'm figuring out a lot of lines that I had never known before. I would just kind of sing past it, and then now I'm getting the actual content. Right. So you said that Pat Stump was kind of writing the song in terms of being, I guess, indifferent about where he was going in life after high school, but I do think there is some promise in this. Part of the chorus is Saturday when these open doors were open-ended. So I think that kind of shows that the door's open to your future. There's plenty of opportunities out there. It's just kind of up to you to two more weeks, your foot is in the door. Get out there and just go make the most of it, you know? Yeah. Did you kind of get that same sense or? Uh, with lines like that, I kind of hear what you're saying. But then there are also lines like, and I read about the afterlife, but I never really lived. More than an hour. Yeah. So then you have that and you're like, Oh, man. But maybe that's his past self. That's a good point. And maybe he's opening a new chapter. I've had days that felt like weeks and weeks that felt like months. And then some days that feel like years, you know? Maybe he's saying, like, I feel like I've never lived more than an hour. Like, I've never made the most out of the days I have. So maybe I should start doing that. Yeah, that's good. I like your positive spin on it. Is that too optimistic for Fall Out Boy? It probably is. No, I like your optimism. I don't appreciate my pessimism. Let's stick with yours. I don't think it's your pessimism. I think they probably meant it in the way that you described it. But I just can't lose my weekend pump up song like that. So I'm <laughs> yeah. going gonna, gonna to no, make it as positive as possible. That's fair. One thing that this also brought up is since they mentioned this Astoria Club in Chicago, this is also like the Chicago album. We are Fall Out Boy from Chicago album. They talk about Chicago and specific places in Chicago several times in multiple songs. Did you pick up on that? That This is like basically an I love you letter to Chicago? Yeah. I don't know if I picked up on it as much as it was drilled into my head. (laughs) (laughs) There are bands and Good Charlotte comes to mind in terms of Waldorf, Maryland. There are bands where they are proud of where they're from and they're trying to pay homage to their scene and maybe help put some other guys on the map. This is definitely that album because you don't see that kind of shy town recognition on their, their future releases. So people from Chicago must love this album, must love all these songs, must love hearing it live in concert. But if I'm going to be honest, Mike kind of makes me a little angry. Hmm? They're not winning me over. No songs about Philly in here. You don't like, have you ever been to Chicago? Yeah, of course I've been to Chicago. It's a great city. Oh, okay. So you just wish they were saying, singing songs about Philadelphia? Yeah. Like the song coming up that says, Chicago is so two years ago. Why not Philly so two years ago? That's a great point. Mix it up. That's a great point. Mix it up a bit. (laughs) So I do love Chicago. And there have always been certain things that have made me gravitate towards that. And one of those things is Fall Out Boy. Another one is CM Punk. Another one is my cousin Allie, who's out there living Went to school there. Shout out to Allie. Fun to visit her. Go to Cubs games together. Chicago is a great city. It's it's a great Midwestern city. It's the Windy City. It's a great Sufshan Stevens song, too. Sufshan. Hogo Bonito. (laughs) 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 Track number five. Homesick at Space Camp. My smile's 
Hey, this is a callback to episode three, Newfound Glory Sticks and Stones. We talk about Stranger Things. That's right. Yeah, we talked about how the weirdo kids would go to weirdo camps with other weirdos. (laughs) (laughs) You are just making this totally polarizing now, aren't you? None of our audience is going to like this. Look. They all went to space camp. I'm going to go on record as saying, if you went to space camp, then you're a trust fund baby, good for nothing, daddy's boy wow sexist too or daddy's girl or mommy's boy or mommy's girl (laughs) gotta cover them all (laughs) but did you did you ever know anybody that went to space camp yeah are you really i'm pretty sure like half the people i know went to space camp are you serious yeah i always got the notion that it wasn't like a thing that i could do yeah it was there our parents didn't love us enough to send us but jesus wait but where? Like, where would you go? So I'm thinking... I don't know. If you go to space camp, then you have got to live in Cape Canaveral or Houston or somewhere near those places. Because if you go to space camp and you don't at least see a rocket just being worked on, <laughs> like, what are you, you going to do if you go to space camp in Philadelphia? Build models? That's science camp. That's not space camp. <laughs> the only person I ever knew that went to space camp is Wayne Zielinski's son in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh. And I don't even think it was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I think it was Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Or is it Honey, I Blew Up the Kids? <laughs> Blew up the baby. So what's this song about, Mike? I kind of see this as you're separated from somebody that you care about. So obviously they use the extreme homesick at space camp so you feel like you're on a different planet or you're this space between you and somebody else that you care about is just so great that there's no way to reach them other than through lyrics and through headphones and through songs when was the first time you were really away from home uh probably not till college really for an extended period yeah like the first time you were away from your parents from the home you grew up in for more than a week oh either or service trips or uh, mission trips in high school. Okay, yeah, I think that counts. Okay. Where'd you go? I went to Virginia, rural retreat. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was a week-long thing. Did you feel some of the emotions in the song? Yeah, I mean, I definitely missed my parents when I was there. This was probably six or so years after this album came out, so we had phones. And I was able to call them most nights, just check in, say, hey, what's up? I think... For the majority of those trips, we kind of kept our phones in our bags just to kind of really get a great experience out of it. But yeah, whenever you're separated from those that you care about, there's always that, I should call and check in, I should see how they're doing. So yeah, I would say I definitely felt some of these emotions of feeling a million miles away, even if you're just a couple hours drive away. What about you? When was the first time you could really remember being gone from home for a couple days? I think the first time that I really felt like I was going on a big trip where I was going to be separated from my family and friends was it was summer going into senior year of high school when I tried out for a crew team. And then I 
was gone at this camp trying out for a while, didn't see my family, and then we flew over to Europe, and we spent two weeks in Europe, and I was with this team of guys who I had met a couple weeks before, and the only adult was the coach there, and that was the first time I had to fly on a plane kind of by myself, and I remember thinking like, wow, this is the first time I really feel like I'm an adult on my own. This song definitely brought up a lot of those feelings of like, okay, I'm kind of doing my own thing now. Were the other guys mean to you? They bullied me nonstop. <laughs> Did you make the team? Yeah, I made the team. Went to Europe. Oh, hell yeah, dude. It was great. Did you make the team before going to Europe or after going to Europe? That'd be weird if I got cut from the team and they had to fly me back to the U.S. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> no, they figured out the logistics ahead of time. You're not good enough to scream stuff at our rowers, but we will pay for your round-trip flight yeah. to Europe. <laughs> yeah. So we both just described probably week-long, maybe in your case, two to three weeks? Yeah, I would say it was probably close to a month from beginning to end. There's an end date on that, you know? Yeah. Like, you know when you're coming home. How did you do when you first went away to college when it was like months? I think I personally did okay because for me, I just don't think that it was a humongous challenge, but... I was also very close to home. I think we both were close enough where if we needed to come home, we could. I was an hour away. You were, what, three hours away? Yeah, three, three and a half. I think the fact that I knew I could be home whenever I wanted to made it a little bit easier. But, you know, I think just having that separation, there were times, I don't think it it all hit me at once. It wasn't like as soon as I was there, I felt like it was a sort of big thing. But I think there were times where I felt like I missed home. Do you honestly know people that went to space camp? Uh, yeah, I do. What are you looking up? Are you looking up space camp? Yes. This song, Mike, was also a lot more hardcore sounding than the other songs in the album. It came in pretty aggressively. It almost reminded me of a Rise Against song. And I went on this weird tangent where I actually looked up Fall Out Boy Rise Against and I realized that they got their start together. They played a lot of the same clubs together in Chicago. They toured together, I think. And when I dug even further, I realized that Pete Wentz and Tim McElrath, I hope that's how you pronounce his name, were in a band together before Fall Out Boy. Arma Angelus. And Pete Wentz was the vocalist. Tim was the bassist. Guys in Fallout Boy, the rest of the band sort of rotated into this band and out of this band. And there's a very close relationship between Fallout Boy and Rise Against that I didn't know existed. I actually never realized that Pete Wentz and Rise Against were that close. Yeah. It's funny because I do remember hearing about the band Arma Angelus in the past. I think they were kind of like a metalcore band that mostly wrote songs against the establishment and. Like we were saying earlier about Pete and Joe forming Fall Out Boy as a side project, how crazy is it that two members of this band that is forgotten in today's standards go on to form two of the bigger pop punk or whatever you want to consider Rise Against as being bands of our time? Yeah, it's insane. Just knowing that backstory is so cool. 
And when Tim left the band to form Rise Against, he was replaced by this guy named Christopher Gutierrez. And Christopher Gutierrez has a very interesting story with Fall Out Boy that we'll actually hear more about later. He comes up later in the album, and there's some interesting tidbits that I want to share once we get there. I don't want to jump the gun, though. I won't make you. Thanks, Mike. Before we move on, the other thing to mention is that this is another song where they mention Chicago. So I'm going to start keeping tally. I think we're at two out of the five songs so far have mentioned Chicago. Track number six is called Sending Postcards from a Plane Crash. Wish You Were Here. What a great diss, man. You're sending postcards from a plane crash? And you wish they were there? That means you want them to crash? What the heck? That's so Uh. psycho, dude. I do like the song. I think it's more poppy and upbeat than the rest of the songs on this album. Yeah. Again, you're not going to find this this song title from any other band at this time. Fall Out Boy songs, I, I think they have some great lyrics, but even more so, they have just these great intricate song titles. So this is just another one of those that I always got a kick out of as a 13-year-old listening to this album. I think this is another breakup song. I think it speaks to that really awkward situation where when you break up with somebody, you kind of have to pick sides and you need to have this major split with that person in your friend group and in your social media. There's a line, every friend we have ever had in common, I will sever the tie, sever the tie with you. Think about when you break up with somebody, one of the things that you kind of have to do, I don't know if everybody does it, but one of the things that people often do is remove them from your friends on Facebook and Stop following them on the rest of your social media accounts. And that's such a weird thing. Fall Out Boy was, they might have been on the cusp of like MySpace and stuff like that. But nowadays it's so much more prevalent where it's like, especially if you start dating as friends with friends in common. If you meet people through your partner, obviously they're probably going to revert back to their original friendship. But if you come from, the same group of friends and then you break up it's weird having to choose a side i've never had to do it personally have you wait is your question if i had to choose between a friend or his ex yeah or a a friend and her ex or did you have two friends that were dating each other that had a bad breakup and then they split the group somehow yeah i think it's a pretty common thing mike There are times when your friends break up and then you kind of awkwardly have to pick who you're going to stay friends with or you try to split time between them and that doesn't always work out so evenly. Um, And there are also times where you break up with somebody. There have been times when I've broken up with somebody and then your friends are trying to figure out how is this going to affect our friend group. That's happened a few times. And 
it's never an easy situation. It's never like a straightforward answer. Right. So it definitely complicates things. Another cool tip about the song, Mike, is it was largely a studio creation. So I guess that means that the producers who helped them record the album wrote the majority of the song. I don't really... That raised a lot of questions about studio production, album production. How does all that work? Somebody can just write these songs for you? Do you think they mean like studio, like the studio actually wrote the song for them? Or it was a studio recording because they couldn't replicate it on their live shows? I honestly don't know. I know that they don't typically play it live, but I assumed it was because they felt like they didn't really write it. They didn't have an attachment to it. The studio helped out with most of it and essentially wrote it. That's what I thought. Well, I would say of all the songs on the album, if I don't hear this one live, I'm not going home brokenhearted, I guess you could say. Track number seven, here we go. Chicago. Chicago is so two years ago. So, Keenan, as you mentioned, another song alluding to Chicago. Yep. Add it to the tally. Another song where the girl hates the boy. Yep. The boy sucks. Mm-hmm. And the boy realizes that maybe he can do more. Is this the only theme that Fall Out Boy has? Because I feel like it's been half the songs that we've discussed so far. It's definitely the most prevalent. And I did notice that they say boy in almost every single song like they refer to themselves as a boy or i'm just a boy blah blah blah. like the men are less mature than the women they're singing about right and i don't know if that's part of the reason why i mentioned initially i rejected them i thought this is a girl band and then i listened to them and i'm like oh these that these guys are actually really good but there's still something where they constantly refer to themselves as boy that i'm like I don't want to think of myself as like a stupid kid. Yeah, but they do it often. You're right. I have noticed that several times. Similar to you making a tally about how many times they mentioned Chicago, I was thinking about how many times they mentioned a boy. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's more tracks than not, honestly. They do also mention the chorus of this song is there's a light on in Chicago and I know I should be home. So... Similar to what we talked about with that separation, that distance from people you care about. It also reminded me of that Smith song called There's a Light That Never Goes Out. I don't know if you're familiar with the Smiths or with that song or not. I don't think so. I couldn't find anything saying that that was actually a reference to that song. But that's what it made me think of. And I know a lot of these bands kind of drew influence from bands like The Cure and The Smiths and Joy Division. Like those British bands from the 80s that were kind of emo before emo really had a title to it. So yeah, that light on in Chicago always reminded me of that Smith song because I was kind of introduced to them around the same time, even though they're two completely different bands. 
That could be a reference, though. That could be indirectly referencing that song. Or maybe just uh, Motel 6. Like, we'll leave the light on for you. <laughs> yeah, they were actually paid by Motel 6. This was a uh, <laughs> advertisement they snuck into their record. There's a light on in a Chicago <laughs> Motel 6. <laughs> they also talk about being home. And I think it was in the Simple Plan episode where there was one song in particular where they talk about home being a safe place. That's another theme that we've seen before. Throughout this album, there are those themes that there's comfort in what's comfortable, you know? Your home or your hometown. Yeah, there's comfort in your hometown, the things that you're just used to. I wouldn't say it's complacency, but maybe familiarity. Yeah. And it seems like whether they're talking about themselves or about whatever protagonist, it seems like they're the type of people that are completely happy being complacent or just falling into place and any sort of change is life altering, I guess you could say. Yeah. So there's always that familiarity that once that's no longer there, it kind of sucks and it takes some getting used to, which I kind of get from this song. One of the things we like to discuss, Mike, is cameos, guest singers, things like that throughout these albums. And most of the time, these pop punk bands will bring in famous singers or musicians to come in and help them out with the album. Wait, wait, wait. Stop right there. Are you telling me Mark Hoppus plays bass on this track? <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> then, okay, if you do it multiple times, it's not just a one-off. Now it's like your thing. That would be Mark Hoppus' thing. <laughs> but no, Mark Hoppus has not played bass on Chicago so two years ago. Dang. But there is a famous singer that sings... I think from the bridge through the end of the song, you know, the background vocals. Are you talking about like with every breath, I wish your body will be broken again? Yeah, I think it's that part. There's a famous singer who sings that. See, I always thought that was, I didn't think it was Patrick. I thought it was maybe Pete harmonizing, but it's, you're telling me it's not. No. Do you want to know who it is? Oh, I do. Justin Pierre from Motion City Soundtrack. Oh, that's cool. There's a light on in Chicago, and I know I should be home. And all the colors of the street signs, they remind me of the pickup truck out in front of your neighbors. I kind of thought the same thing. I was like, oh, Patrick is probably probably recorded the backup vocals for that part. Yeah. But I knew it wasn't him and it sounded very familiar. And it wasn't until I read the name that I realized, of course, that's who it is. I always knew I recognized the voice. As soon as you say that, yeah, that's definitely a different pitch. And it's just like, that's always been my favorite part of the song. It just sounds completely different than the rest of it. It's just, with every breath out. But um, that's awesome. I didn't realize yeah. that surprise and it looks like motion city soundtrack was kind of just coming up right around this time as well they released their debut album in june 2003 so just a month and a half or so after uh this one came out yeah i don't know if 
they were actually famous at the time. I don't know if Justin Pierre was actually a well-known name at the time, but certainly recognizable voice. And then obviously today we know all about them. Right. How do you think that came about? Was that like a shared friendship or like a producer or? Well, I read a cool story that I think they knew each other. I think they were friends with Justin Pierre. They had crossed paths multiple times and he had agreed to be featured in one of the songs, but schedules didn't work out. Logistics didn't work out. And then their producer, the guy who was helping them out record the album, surprised them. Oh, Sean O'Keefe? Yeah, Sean O'Keefe. Yeah, he actually tracked down Justin, had him record the vocals, and then he surprised the guys in the band with it. And they threw it onto this song. I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. That's got to be a way, a way cooler surprise than finding out that... uh Mark Hoppus is offered to play bass on your song. Track number eight on the album is another cool song title, The Pros and Cons of Breathing. Pros and Cons of Breathing sounds like another breakup song to me, Keenan. Yeah, I think that's several in a row now. I think that is sort of dominating the album at this point, isn't it? I've lost track, but the difference with this one that I always kind of thought was really cool was the chorus that they say, I want to hate you half as much as I hate myself. So they're kind of taking the pressure off of the the ex or the person scorned and placing it back on you. You're upset with the other person in the relationship, but you're more upset with your own actions and I guess how you handled the relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. I kind of took that line as Fall Out Boy went one step further and whereas other bands would talk about a breakup as in how much they hate the person they broke up with. This one is they hate them so much and they're such a terrible person that they're making you hate yourself. That could be like the old adage, I hate myself for loving you. Yeah, that's what comes to mind. It's kind of crazy. But it also kind of speaks to Fallout Boy. Their writing is so much better than most pop punk bands. Pete and Patrick would spend hours getting each individual syllable right when they were writing the songs. And it's clear when you listen to songs like this where it's about a breakup, but it's so dramatic and so over the top, and it's very clear in lines like that. Isn't there a line about dragging your guts something, too? Yes. Back to my odd obsession with pop punk bands and talking about their body parts and different lines of that nature. I must have dragged my guts a block. They were gone by the time we talked. That is kind of a badass line, now that I look at it again. You are gathering up the confidence to go and talk to somebody or go and confront somebody. And then by the time you're actually in that confrontation, you just shut down. You have no balls, I guess. No guts. (laughs) Yeah, that's the point. Dragging your guts, right? 
Yeah, which is a very morbid image. I'm just imagining, like, did you see 1917? I haven't seen it, now. It's a World War One movie. Obviously, there was a lot of dragging of the guts. But I think of a, a particular scene when one of the soldiers that's featured in the movie gets ambushed. And he actually gets stabbed. And he's kind of, like, writhing and, like, crawling on the ground, like, holding his side. That's that's what I think of when I hear dragging my guts for a block. This is quite... <laughs> This is quite the imagery. Yeah, and the opening line of the song is the one that stands out the most to me. Bury me standing under your window with this cinder block in hand. To me, it's like the opposite of the classic scene from Say Anything, that movie with John Cusack, you know, where he's holding the boombox outside of the girl's window. Right, yeah, In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. Yeah, exactly. So instead of holding the boombox and trying to get the girl's attention and trying to profess your love for her, you're outside of the window with a cinder block ready to smash the window and cause damage. I always thought that was really funny. It's also like the the starting line song, Best of Me, in that music video, which I think is a a parody of Say Anything, but the guy is standing outside the girl's window with the boombox. This is like a parody of that in a more disturbing way. We both agree that Fall Out Boy has a lot of great song titles in addition to their great lyrics. What would you say are the cons of breathing? Just staying alive? Yeah. I think the fact that you have to be alive dealing with somebody that you hate is probably the worst thought in the world for this person. The pros of breathing are... Living. Yep. That's the one. Other than that... I can't name any others, to be (laughs) honest. (laughs) So it's actually pretty close. It can get kind of creepy if you're just like, (gasps) like just Darth Vadering it, you know? Yeah. The nerdy... Creepy guy is always distinguished by his heavy breathing. Track nine is Grenade Jumper, and this one is, I think, their fan appreciation song. I read a story that they wanted to write a song for all of their fans and it was I think it was a conversation between Andy and Pat and one of them said to the other well we don't have any real fans our only fan is Chris mm-hmm. so that kind of became an inside joke that became this song Yeah. And Chris, if you remember correctly, I mentioned a couple songs ago, this guy, Christopher Gutierrez, who was a member of that band Arma Angelus with Pete Wentz and with Tim McElwraith, the guy from Rise Against. And that's who this is about. He was a band member of theirs for a few years, 
when fallout boy was formed and started to blow up he was their biggest fan he would travel with the band he'd be at every show he'd be backstage with them he was nearly a member of the band that's how close he was he, he was essentially their number one roadie it was almost like how i was with the gummy bear warriors that's right i was gonna make that connection yeah you are the chris gutierrez in this situation although i hope not too close to that because their relationship did not stay very strong it is kind of funny that you decide to not write an all-encompassing song about fan appreciation and the one fan that you instead choose to write about turns on you. Yeah, it's pretty funny how it all sort of worked out. But the story goes, it's Fallout Boy lore that he was this super fan and then as they started to blow up and get big, Chris was probably starting to resent them. And then there was all this behind-the-scenes stuff where Pete Wentz apparently tried to hook up with Chris's girlfriend at the time and Chris was posting online on these message boards that Pete Wentz betrayed him and he's a backstabber and their music isn't good anyway and I think Pete Wentz eventually after the community started to turn on Pete Wentz and the members of Fall Out Boy I think he actually addressed it and was saying that it was all made up and it was all fake and Chris was overreacting and if he really wanted to get in touch with him to discuss it here's my number, reach out. And so there's all this back and forth. And I did see something years later. It was like a blog post where Chris said that he went to a show years later just as a fan and watched them perform at this small nightclub in Chicago and said that it felt like old times and there was no hostility towards him. So I don't know. The whole thing sounds very blown up and dramatic, which is kind of what you expect from Fall Out Boy. That's great that Chris doesn't hold any animosity toward the famous rich guys that he used to be friends with yeah <laughs> i'm sure they're they can sleep comfortably tonight now <laughs> i was reading some of you know because i knew this song for a while and i i didn't realize he was actually friends with the band i thought hey chris was kind of almost like a dear abby figure yeah like a, somebody that they would write to and that he would give them advice or whatever <laughs> one of the things that chris he accused pete of making fun of fall Out boy having <laughs> fat fans <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's right i saw that like, <laughs> yeah that was one of the big grievances he had could you imagine like all these fat fans riding against pete Wentz? <laughs> yeah yeah it was so ridiculous there was other stuff like he apparently leaked lewd photos of pete Wentz, and for a while they were on the internet i think i actually remember reading about it when it happened but they were all over the internet <laughs> and nobody knew where it came from and i think it came out that Chris leaked him. Why he had him, I still have no idea. But, uh, and then there's also this thing where Chris was posting online pictures of him and Mikey Way, who's the bassist of My Chemical Romance, apparently trying to make Pete Wentz jealous. Like, there's all this really stupid stuff. But despite all that extra weird background information and deeper themes that come to light when you start to read about the band and read about the history of the song, it's, in my opinion, one of the better songs on the album. And all I kept thinking about was every dude named Chris out there who listened to Fall Out Boy must have been super pumped when this came out. Oh, for sure. Just lie and say that it's about you. That's that's right. <laughs> like, I kind of wish my name was Chris. Yeah, it starts out with a really fun, like, guitar riff and then, like, you know, a little, like, cymbal clang and, like, yeah! So it's a really upbeat, fun song. They want the fans to get involved. They want the fans to have some fun with this one. Right. Grenade Jumper is another interesting title. I think of Jack Be Nimble, Jack Be Quick. Jack jump over a candlestick, just jumping over a grenade instead. <laughs> it's like the high stakes version. Yeah. Jack be nimble. Yeah. It's hot potato, but just hot grenade. 
<laughs> Wasn't this also Steph Seeley's favorite song? I was going to fact check that. I didn't. But I remember her telling me back in the day because she was a person that implored me to listen to this album saying how much better it was or at least it was of equal value to from under the cork tree and i do remember this being her favorite song at the time which was 16 years ago i do wish you fact check it this is like when you said that tom mackle's favorite song in the memory book was the newfound glory song we don't have any printed uh, evidence so this was steph steely's favorite song there you go. She's not going to listen, so what's it, what does it matter? Steph, congrats on your baby boy. <laughs> Shout out to Steph Seeley and Gwen Mercy Day Camp again. We owe a lot to um, Alex, Megan, and Steph because they pretty much introduced us to this band. So, What were their favorite songs? If you had to guess, what was Meg's favorite song in this album? I would say probably Grand Theft Auto. Okay, so it's funny you would say that because I would say, tell that Mickey just made my list of things to do today, which... Really? We just named both of our favorite songs. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's really dumb. And then I would say Alex Taratuski would say Saturday. Just I just picked that randomly. Well, I do know that Alex loves the song from From Under the Cork Tree, A Little Less 16 Candles, A Little More Touch Me, because there was a lyric from that song that was in her MySpace profile from the second that we became MySpace friends, whenever that was. Wow, that is an old-timey reference right there. It is, but um, yeah, she loves, what did you say, Saturday? Saturday. She loves that song. Yeah, definitely. That's, That's got to be your favorite. All right, we can agree on that. Track number 10, Calm Before the Storm. There's a really cool reference in this song. I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but the line is, there's a song on the radio that says, let's get this party started. And I had to look it up to be sure, but that's definitely a reference to Pink's song. Let's get this party started. Yeah. Which Pink's a local girl, too. She is. She's from Doylestown. So I thought that was kind of funny. They referenced that song, which came out in 2001. This came out in 2003. To me, that Pink song sounds like even earlier than that. Yeah, it could sound like a 90s song, early 2000s, even mid-2000s. It has range. I thought it was like a late 90s song. Yeah, but that's pretty funny. They Not only are their titles pop culture references, but in their songs, in the individual lyrics, they have these subtle pop culture references like that, which date the song. It does, but I kind of love that when bands do that, when it's kind of a snapshot in time, you know? Yeah, it's like a little Easter egg in the song. I thought that was really cool because I had to go and look it up and confirm that sure enough, that was the Pink song. We can see how much Pink has evolved from that time too. Aren't we doing the Pink album next? I think so. It's next on the agenda. So the title is Calm Before the Storm. Mike, have you ever 
been outside right before a storm? That's a great question, Keenan. And you know what I have? We both used to go to camp, so we were outside a majority of the day. But there were those days that just became overcast pretty quickly. And then you could kind of look off into the distance and see that there were clouds coming your way. And the calm is just a very somber kind of quiet stillness. It's eerie. It's almost eerie feeling. It's a get inside kind of feeling. And then it's like a very quick progression when the storm actually comes through. It's like zero to 60. Right. And it's such a weird change of feeling in the air. And what was interesting when I was listening through this song, it starts very slow and quiet and then it builds and builds and builds. And the bridge, there's this really aggressive, almost screamo part where I think Pete Wentz is doing the background screaming and it's all of a sudden like everything all at once. And the sun burned out tonight. Reception less warm. And I thought that was cool. It was like the beginning of the song was the calm before the storm. And then once I hit the bridge in the later part of the song, it was the storm. And it was very loud and powerful. And I remember reading that the bridge features what they call a screaming harmony from Pete Wentz. And it took five or six different digital tracks to actually create. So it's layered screams on top of each other to make it that really powerful feeling. I never realized it was more than one track with Pete screaming because... I do love that part of this song. I think that's what it kind of sets Fall Out Boy apart from the bands at this time. They were willing to kind of start screaming stuff. And this might not be completely accurate, but I think from 2003 forward, we see other bands becoming more prominent in terms of having a lead singer in addition to a lead screamer. Yeah. Bands like Hawthorne Heights, Taking Back Sunday, that doesn't become such a nuanced or niche thing anymore it's it's more like every band kind of has okay you sing and you scream sometimes it's the same person sometimes it's two different people yeah it seems like Fall Out Boy almost paved the way for it but it's cool because it comes from their background they grew up and they came up in the Chicago underground hardcore scene where I think screaming like that and screamo was a little more popular and a little more prevalent so there's screaming in a few of these songs. I think it's the most obvious and the most apparent in this song. But that comes straight from the earlier bands they were in, side projects and things like that. I think they were no strangers to that background screamer. Exactly. It reminds me of Sum 41 where, you know, they were heavily influenced by metal bands. They want to implement heavier, you know, guitar riffs and metal influences in their songs. So Fall Out Boy coming from a hardcore scene. There has to be screaming on some of these tracks. A lot of them are just perfect pop punk, but then you have certain songs that set themselves apart with that little extra added ingredient of that screaming track, in my opinion, perfectly bouncing out Pat Stump's uh, vocal harmonies. Those are their roots. Those are their roots. Another line that always stood out to me is, that says there's another fool like me. There's one born every minute. That's that sort of classic saying, there's a sucker born every minute. And that reminded me of that movie Matilda. Do you remember the movie Matilda? I do remember, but I never think I've seen it all the way through. What? Are you serious? I'm serious. 
Oh, it's such a great movie. It stars Mara Wilson as the little girl. Danny DeVito is in it. Oh, I know who's in it. I've seen bits and pieces, but I've never actually watched it, you know? Yeah, it's good. And there's a line that Danny DeVito says when he's, I think he's trying to teach Matilda the family business, which is he's this really scummy used car salesman basically trying to rip everybody off. And he pulls her side and he's like, there's a sucker born every minute and I'm going to take them for all they're worth. And I hear that line and I always think back to that that one scene. Love Danny DeVito. That is a quote that I think is originally attributed to P.T. Barnum. Oh. Who was one of the founders of the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Can I tell you my favorite circus story? Yeah. So when my mom was a young girl, my grandparents received a call on their home phone line, which back in the 60s was the only phone line. Yeah, house phone. Right. Very important back then. So my grandfather answers the phone, and there's a woman on the other end of the line saying, you know, Mr. Exner, would you be interested in possibly donating some money to a charity that's going to take a group of blind children to see the circus? And my granddad pretty quickly told her, do you think I was born yesterday? Who's going to take a blind person to see the circus? There's nothing to see if you're blind. And so he hung up the phone, told his family the story. They're like, oh, that's silly, whatever. So the circus comes to town that summer, and my mom, her two sisters, and her parents go to see the circus. And in the section next to them is a group of blind children (laughs) with um, interpreters explaining to them what's happening within the three rings. Dude. And I think my grandfather just kind of like, put his oh. hand on his head thinking because he wasn't a he wasn't a bad guy but it's like he thought it was a crank phone call you know yeah oh that's such a terrible situation and then what are the odds that you go to the same show as <laughs> all these oh. poor blind children that you just shrugged off oh a couple months prior how did he uh how do you shake that one off i think he just kind of was like what are the odds you know i don't know what i would do <laughs> I don't know. I don't think the circus even exists anymore, but... It's reasons like this that I just don't answer the phone. He had a weird knack for running into these crazy circumstances in his life. Yeah, that's got to be up there. So, it's like you feel bad, but it's also like, ha, I'm going to tell this story one day. Track number 12, reinventing the wheel to run myself over. Ooh. It's another one that really makes you think... work so hard to reinvent this perfect innovation just to kill yourself yeah that's the whole purpose self-sabotage on all the albums so far i picked out the ones that sound like they would be the best mosh pit songs because they're really upbeat they have very fast drum beats along with them this is definitely that song for fallout boy they have that classic break beat that you would hear in the mosh pit songs this is one where they get the crowd going they get them in the circle pit it is a fun song. I would say, I don't think I've chosen a least favorite song yet. 
And it's really hard for me to do on this album. I think it might be this one. This song isn't a song that you'd find on mainstream radio. It's not poppy. It's not catchy. It's just sort of, it just kind of hits pretty hard. And I think that's probably what turns you off about it, is my guess. It was actually inspired by a more hardcore band called Lifetime, which was this very raw punk band from New Jersey that I guess they were big fans of. And they tried to mimic their sound. If you listen to any Lifetime songs, they're just like this. That's good to know. I never realized that before. It has probably one of my favorite lines on the album. Check this one out, Keenan. A failure at everything, 18 going on extinct. Wow. Talk about dramatic. You ever feel that way? Uh, I guess when I was 18, yeah. <laughs> I did probably a couple times. I just think that's a cool line. <laughs> that is a cool line. I like that. There was a line that I like that stood out, and it was, I could walk this fine line between elation and success. And I'm not sure I fully understand it, because are they saying that success doesn't make you happy? Is that like them trying to say money doesn't make you happy? Yeah. I guess it is, because elation is extreme happiness, right? And then success is success. So I guess it... <laughs> <laughs> this has been... That's right. Success is The success. English <laughs> podcast. Synonyms for success. Success. <laughs> success is how you define it, right? Some people say that happiness does not always equal success. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Which I guess is what they're trying to say here. Yeah, I guess so. Well, so then... Being unsuccessful. But there's not a fine line between elation and success, right? Like, it's a very broad line, if that's their case. I don't know. I just don't think that being unsuccessful leads to elation, right? <laughs> Definitely not. You can be unsuccessful in societal terms, but still feel fulfilled. And maybe they didn't, they didn't want to get into all those details. <laughs> yeah, maybe they didn't think that we would be uh, <laughs> diving this deep into it and trying to dissect it this much. Yeah, I don't know. And it's weird because you like the line, I could walk this fine line between elation and success. And the line that follows that one is, but we all know which way I'm going to strike the stake between my chest. Whoa. What the hell is that about? That's like a vampire thing, right? That is a vampire thing. So is this song about a vampire? Sure. So I know My Chemical Romance was very into vampires. Uh Uh-huh. And like that dark kind of culture. Right. Like MCR has a song that's called Vampires Will Never Hurt You. So I don't know if this is just like Fall Out Boy being dramatic because they kind of delved into the vampires later in their career. Yeah, I was going to say the music video for A Little Less 16 Candles, A Little More Touch Me is a vampire theme. Right. And they were obsessed with the movie Lost Boys, which I think is also kind of vampire based. I don't know. Just a weird, very extreme line, I guess you could say. It is, yeah. It's an extreme line for an extreme song. Yeah, and the, yeah. This, I mean, we. <laughs> so I guess we had to remember that this song, the title in and of itself, is about using your passion and creativity to make an invention to kill yourself, which yeah, is just so intense and so over the top. But that's something that I always appreciated about Fallout Boy is that. They just always went 100%, you know? Yeah, and they clearly thought all these things through intensely. I mean, you don't just create a title like that or create lyrics like that by happenstance. You don't just throw those together. They clearly put a ton of thought into it. I always think of cavemen as inventing the wheel. So, No, Fall Out Boy did. 
Well, they reinvented it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> the cavemen made like the stone, like the little stone wheel. Fallout Boy reinvented it as just Grave Digger coming to mm-hmm. just destroy you. <laughs> yeah. Grave Digger. Track 12, the final track on the album, The Patron Saint of Liars and Fakes. This one, again, is more hardcore sounding. It's kind of like the one before it, Reinventing the Wheel to Run Myself Over. It's kind of like Homesick at Space Camp. They're all just a little bit edgier and a little bit heavier than the rest of the album. And this one, the way it started, actually reminded me a lot of a Senses Fail song. sounded a lot like Senses Fail to me. I can definitely see what you're saying with Senses Fail. Like, to be honest, I don't know a ton of their stuff, but... The songs that I do like by them, they're really catchy and kind of... They're like loud catchy. They're like aggressive catchy. Yeah. That's kind of what this song feels like to me. I was thinking about it, and a lot of albums, not even pop punk albums, but just albums in general, tend to end on a slower note. This one just keeps the momentum going, which I think is great. It's just, there's not a slow song on this album. Maybe the intro to Grand Theft Auto, but that's about it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just it's just fast-paced and really aggressive and just really fun. And I always think of this album as a really fun shower album, like getting ready, like getting pumped up album, you know? Just put this on. There's not a bad track on it, you know? This song specifically, I think they actually wrote it to be a dark ending to the album. Really? It was supposed to foreshadow the sound that the band intended to take on later records. I think they looked at this album and said, okay, this one's a little bit poppier and it is more upbeat and it is a little bit more fun than our hardcore roots, but we do want to become heavier and we do want to become a little bit darker. And so this is kind of the prelude to that, which I don't know they really did, to be honest. I I wish they had taken that approach because their next album is fantastic. And then from there, they just go completely. Well, okay, From Under the Cork Tree is amazing. Infinity on High is fine. And then from there, they just nosedive into radio pop, which is so, it, it's so watered down from what they started as, like a underground hardcore punk scene. It's just frustrating. And I was going to see them this summer on the Hella Mega Tour with Green Day and Weezer. And that ended up getting canceled due to COVID. But I always wondered, it's like, am I, Fall Out Boy was one of my favorite bands growing up. Am I still going to enjoy seeing them live? Or are they just going to perform all of their American psycho, Patrick Stump, this city's my city, I was born and raised here, I got it made here kind of BS songs that just seem so superficial and so removed from the intensity and the personal dedication that we see on this album. Yeah, I am totally in agreement with you. 
I personally don't know if I even would want to see them live. I mean, I still would if given the opportunity, but when they start selling out arenas, that's not a punk show anymore. I'd much rather go see a Newfound Glory or a Sum 41 playing a small venue somewhere with a crowd that's packed wall to wall than sit in a seat and listen to their new poppy stuff. I just, I'm not super into that. And I think you're right. I think they, they went in that direction, unfortunately. Right. I agree with you. The allure was just, when are you going to get to see Green Day, Weezer, and Fall Out Boy together again? The thing was, I would never go see any of those bands individually. But if I could go see them all at once, I thought it was probably going to be a, a good time. And Philadelphia, when it was scheduled, was going to be the final show of the tour. So I was hoping for some, maybe some antics, maybe some different stuff. I don't even know if, if it's been rescheduled at this point or not. But You know how your thing is always talking about how bands mention body parts in interesting ways? Right. My thing has sort of been relating these songs that we're listening to to other songs, songs that sound similar to them. This song, and I don't want to assume and I don't want to call out Fall Out Boy for ripping anybody off, but this song sounds exactly like Taking Back Sunday's Cute Without the E. When you listen to the two choruses side by side and you listen to one after the other, it's like the exact same chorus. And I know that Taking Back Sunday's album, Tell All Your Friends, came out a couple years before this. So is it a weird coincidence or is it subconscious that they sound similar? I don't know. But have you noticed that or no? You're absolutely right. They're oddly similar. Keenan, you know what? Do you want to take a look at Taking Back Sunday's Tell All Your Friends next week? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Let's definitely do that. Then we can actually compare the two. Let's pencil it in. This, as I have said before, is one of my favorite albums still to this day and it's still an album that holds a very deep meaning in my life there are still some very relatable themes relationships breakups your friends staying true to yourself always representing your city whether it be chicago or philly but mostly if it's chicago but mostly chicago overall this was just a band that is on the pulse of blowing up and I know I didn't hear of them until their second album from one of the Cork Tree, but you can hear it in these songs that this was a band that was polished and just formulated to become the stars that they eventually became. I still think that they have some of the best lyrics of any pop punk band. I still appreciate that they were very online years ago. Part of the reason why I became so infatuated with them was Pete Wentz was on their website all the time answering questions from fans like he had kind of a mailbag on their website back in 2004 2005 so they've always been very in touch with their fan base 
Yeah, I think what's also different about them, which is pretty obvious in this album, is they are seemingly a lot more creative than some of the other bands that we've listened to so far and some of the bands that we listened to back in the day. You can just see it in the way that they would write the titles of their songs. No other bands wrote titles of songs like that. You can see it in some of the lyrics that we discuss. A lot of times we're analyzing lyrics and it's very it's very base level stuff like, oh, I broke up with somebody or, oh, it's hard being home. These guys, I mean, you could really talk about their lyrics for hours on end, which obviously we don't have the time to do, but there is a lot of meaning and it's because Pete and Patrick would take so long to actually formulate the lyrical content and the harmonies and all the different aspects of their songs. I think what's also cool is they do incorporate a bunch of different sounds into their music and it's really apparent in the majority of this album. You can hear their hardcore roots. You can hear a little more of the pop punk sound that they're developing. And that all makes it sort of different and interesting. Whereas Newfound Glory, a lot of their songs sound very similar. They're all sort of the same genre. And Blink-182, it's all kind of the same sound. Fall Out Boy seems like they use kind of a varied approach, which is cool. Right. And I do love the fact that you could know every lyric of every song and still not be able to recall what that song is called just because there's no correlation between their song titles and their song lyrics. I just think that's kind of a cool thing. It's almost like a novel, you know? A novel has a title and sometimes all the words in the chapters in that novel relate back to that title, but oftentimes they don't. So There's also a lot more lore out there about Fall Out Boy that the more you dive into the internet and the more you go on random message boards, you learn about them. Whereas, I don't know if that's the case with a lot of pop punk bands. I haven't had similar situations when I've researched Blink or Sum 41. There's a lot more behind the scenes stuff going on that you start to learn about. And there's a lot of weird hearsay and rumors and stories about the tour life and about recording that you just wouldn't expect to hear. So I also thought that was kind of an added bonus. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of them being kind of having an online presence themselves. It would almost be worth reaching out to them or writing about them because you would usually generate some sort of response from the band, whether it be through blog post response or a live journal entry, or even sometimes they would discuss it in, in some of their songs. So I think there's definitely a fascination with this band. I'm not sure if it's as strong today as it used to be. In fact, I think we can safely assume that it's probably died down a little bit, but at the time of this album, and especially by the time they reached their peak, on from one of the cork tree they were kind of all over the place they were like pop culture icons All right, Keenan, episode five is in the books already. Can't believe that. Five down. And five more to go. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week when we discuss Taking Back Sundays, Tell All Your Friends. As you guys know, you can always send us questions or comments at our Gmail. It's poppunkproj at gmail.com. On Instagram, you can find us at poppunkproject. Same thing with Twitter. And then our Patreon is patreon.com backslash pop punk project 
on there, if you subscribe at our tier one level, you'll have access to all of our behind the scenes videos associated with recording these albums. Every time we record an episode, we are on Zoom, facing each other, having some laughs. You have access to all that. We mostly just include all the bloopers, which trust us, there's a lot of them, but it makes for fun content. So if you, uh, if you support us there, you'll have access to that. And then there's a couple other tiers above that as well. Thanks again. We had a blast. We hope you have the time of your lives. Good riddance. That was a happy one. I know.